back to another episode of the Sports Forum, the latest podcast bringing you all the latest headlines, news, and analysis from around the world of sports. My name is Mike Murray, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Ethan Looper. And we're back for episode number four of our early tenure here on the Sports Forum, Ethan's second episode. Ethan, how are we doing today? Doing good, Mike. You know, just uh, finally setting back into reality from the big championship run uh, last week. And having to go to classes again, do uh, you know normal things on a everyday basis. So it's weird. Yeah, absolutely. Same thing for me. Uh, first day back to class for me as well. So just getting back into the flow of things. And so I guess we'll just kind of get right into it. You know, not as far as news headlines go. Um, not too too much has happened uh, over the weekend. I mean, we had we had championship weekend in the NFL. We're going to get to that very shortly, and uh, whatever other banter you might have. But uh, before we went on, um, Ethan reported that there is a new development in the ever going Antonio Brown uh, drama. And Ethan, take it away. What is happening now in the life of our former NFL superstar? Yeah, I think we might need to make this like a regular scheduled weekly segment. The, the, the saga of Antonio Brown just kind of add a chapter every week with uh, with the record, you know, his, he's making an album, dropping music, and now apparently getting arrested. Um, police outside his house about two minutes ago investigating him apparently for battery charges. That's as far as the report I saw went, but I'm guessing we're going to get more details coming down the pipeline, much like, and you hate to bring this up, but much like the Aaron Hernandez case, we just knew initially about the police presence that he was in being investigated. I don't even necessarily remember if we knew it was a murder charge initially to actually dropping the, the supposed crime right out the gate, probably not probably because of the Aaron Hernandez thing, I would imagine. Right. And you, uh, to bring up another point about Antonio Brown, I, I'm pretty sure that recently there was a video of him released and he's seen, I want to say, is he, it, excuse me, is he, is he hitting his wife or is he hitting his kids or something? There's a, is, am I right there? Is there a video of him out there? that relates to him committing abuse of some sort? Or am I in the I, park? I am not aware. It, um, I, I can remember hearing something. It was it might it might not have been abuse per se. I mean that's kind of a, a broad term, but there was a there's a video of him out hold on, let, let me take a minute here. Antonio Brown video. I looked up Antonio Brown video and I see him it looks like he's holding the phone and pointing, like he's videoing a cop and glancing at it. Yes. Okay, that's what it was. Sorry, I, 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 I don't know why I had um, abuse in my head. But anyway, yes. So there is the video of him doing that. He's pretty much berating a cop. So this just kind of adds on top of that. Um, I, I honestly, it's gotten to the point with him where I, I, I don't even know what to say. He's just spiraled so far out of control that you, you almost hope at this point that he gets help of some sort. Like you know, it it, it it's gone to the point where it's not even not even something you can make fun of. Like you're actually legitimately concerned for this guy's well being. It's 
you know, not to be completely insensitive, but he's making, you know, he's making his own decisions and he's putting them out there very publicly on That's purpose. That's a very good point. Um, I, I personally find it hilarious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Antonio Brown. Uh, I, I don't know if you've listened to his to his song, his single, Whole Lot of Money. I it, haven't. I can't say that I have. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, he dropped another one. I forget the name of that one. But they're both terrible. Uh, he sounds like future, but more drugged out and less talented than usual. It, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not all- good. And, and, I mean, I guess one of the, the things that I always found – hysterical about the situation was his his twitter account and how basically every day was either you know one day it was i'm done with the nfl i'm never coming back and the next day it was i like i'm ready like you know if i come back no one's gonna stop me and it was all it was all related to this series of tweets that made no sense to the point that there are now twitter accounts called antonio brown translators oh yeah i I follow one for sure right Uh, who, who literally? I'd have to say he's kind of right. We've never seen anyone stop Antonio Brown. No. Even even the one game on the Patriots amid the the rape allegations coming out, having less than a week with the playbook, all that noise and everything, and he still he still put up a good stat line. I, I think he had eighty something yards and a touchdown. I want to say eighty four. Yeah, it was, yeah, and he, of course, of course, sort of touched as well. So, and that's the other aspect of this whole situation is that, you know, th- th- this isn't a situation where it's a, where we have a guy whose career, like his skill level, has deteriorated so much that now he's become just this absolute nut job, for lack of a better term. This is a guy that can still play the game of football and play it at a high level. And he's just ruining his chances at ever coming back by just doing all this stupid stuff. I, I don't know what it is that motivates him in that way. I, it's it's really hard to say what's going on there. And I, I just looked it up uh, to edit that earlier. It was four catches for fifty six and a touchdown. Right. Yeah. But yeah, still, right. still, but still, you know, I mean. That little time, the touchdown with a week with the playbook. You can only imagine if he'd gotten to settle into a rhythm with the Patriots. Like he's still a dominant receiver and a great athlete. Exactly. He's dynamic. He, you know, had a stretch from 2013 to 2018 where he never was under 1,200 yards or 100 catches in a season. You know, scoring touchdowns like. Nothing. Ten a year, eight was would have been a slow season for him. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So and yeah. and that just kind of adds on to this whole just this, this whole saga with him is just how he's still a capable football player. But you have to think that now with this with this recent news and whatever else is going to come from it, uh, I, his chances of ever playing football again in the NFL are slim to none. I think there's little debate about that. He's yeah. probably. I don't see another team touching him. No, it, it's not because of the talent by any stretch of the imagination. No, but because of the all, backlash that would. I, all the, the backlash, the locker room distraction. Right. 
even even before all this really broke, uh, he was he was going to New Orleans to meet with Sean Payton. Mm-hmm. He made about that too. Of course, <laughs> going to New Orleans meeting with Sean Payton, and you know, no deal came out of that. They did sign a receiver later in the week, so you know, they had the need at the position. And from what I hear from a lot of Saints fans, which I know a lot down here, of course, at of course. LSU, they, they're in desperate need of a second receiver behind Michael Thomas. They that's a that's something the franchise is legitimately looking at. And talent wise, Antonio Brown fills every bit of that role and then some. Right. I mean, if you were ever to pair him with Michael Thomas, that would just be a an absolutely scary combo. Unguardable. I, I literally can't guard Mike and Right. I don't know. Maybe he really has a nickname that pertains to him being unguardable, but the stats. Right. No, it, it's. Yeah. So it's it, it's really getting to the point of being a sad situation for Antonio Brown, and and I think Ethan, you're right. I think we're gonna have to keep uh, keep excuse me keep the people updated on the recent news with him, and I you know kind of have a and kind of have our own separated Antonio Brown segment every week just to kind of see what else is happening and see what see what develops from this late from this latest news um which of course as you said involves the police outside his home and him being investigated for a battery charge so with that we will move on from antonio brown but we will stay in the nfl this past weekend was of course championship weekend um now i wouldn't say ethan that these games that both games were Necessarily thrillers. I'm not going to put them in any of my top ten games of all time list, but it was still good football, and I think there was a lot to take from each game. Um, so we'll start with we'll start with the first one. We'll start with the AFC title and the Chiefs and the Titans as the Titans' Cinderella run towards the Super Bowl finally came to an end in Kansas City. Um, your thoughts on on that game and what you saw. Let me just leave with uh, the fact that last week all my picks hit. Every single one. Yes. I both of the games against the spread, both the overs, they hit Kansas City, San Francisco. So uh, let me just take credit for that real yes. quick. Very good point. Um, we did, we made our picks last week. Um, Ethan and I, we agreed on every one except the Green Bay game. So I, I, I had the Packers plus seven and a half. He took San Fran. San Fran covered. So... He was 4-0, I was 3-1, so a quick recap of the pick. But anyway, going back now to the Kansas City game, your thoughts? Yeah, I think Kansas City caught the Titans in a position where they forced them to really abandon the run game, what they've built their identity on all year, and especially through the playoff run and how they've been successful. The, the Titans had five, I believe, carries in the second half of the game. And after halftime, I was sitting there like, okay, the Titans are down by four points. It was 17 to 21 at the half. And so uh, now it's Henry time. It's Eric Henry time. We're going to see them give him the ball. 15 20 times in this half and he's going to wear the chiefs defense down and it didn't happen for some reason they kind of got caught in the same situation with the ravens that they got 
themselves caught into where you get down in the game and you start panicking in that rushing attack that had brought them so far, it just kind of abandoned it. And also credits Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he made some ridiculous plays. The, the big rushing touchdown he had you know, running through what seemed like 10 defenders, like the entire defense. It, there were some incredible plays by Mahomes. I think this might be the start of a dynasty for the Chiefs. I mean, even you look back to last year and there were a offsides penalty away from playing a slow-looking, poorly executing Rams team and probably curb-stomping them, I would say. And then they come back this year and uh, clean up on those mistakes and actually make it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, I totally, you made a lot of good points there. And to kind of go off of some of the things you said, one thing, first of all, that I want to say is I think the Chiefs enjoy toying with their fans a little bit because this was the second week in a row that we've seen them go down by multiple scores early on and then just steamroll their way back and you know never take their pedal off the metal, for lack of a better term. Is so, Mahomes even warming up for these games anymore? Like, I, I don't even know. It, it, that's, that's actually a good way to put it. It almost seemed like in these last two games that they needed maybe like 10 more minutes of warm-ups. But then, but then once that once that switch flips, it it is scary what this team is capable of. Um, I you're exactly right. Um, the Chiefs were able to put the Titans in a situation where they had to throw the football a little bit more, um, and they just couldn't do it. Um, and you also I, I, one point you made that I really uh, really agree with um, is you know going in, you know you go into halftime you down by four. You know, that really isn't a sign that you need to abandon your run game. But I guess but I guess that's why we're not coaching the Titans because Mike Vrabel just didn't agree with that. And as you said, you know, they you know, threw the ball the majority of the half and, and and that is not their game. And the Chiefs did a great job just making them abandon their game plan and making them do something that they are not capable of doing, you know, over a long stretch of game. And right. In that in that second half, their longest drive was eight plays. Right, and that was terrible for them. The Titans live on sustaining the drive, working the clock. Right, I can think of their. Off it didn't. That's part of abandoning the run game. Not only is Tannehill not Patrick Mahomes, no, so exactly. Yeah, you're also trying to. Do something that just doesn't fit to your roster talent right. when you're doing. Absolutely, um, and for the Chiefs, I think um, you know they did a great job, you know, capitalizing. Actually, going back to the Titans, you know, the other thing in that second half was I, we both said it um, last pod that the key to the one of the big keys to the Titans winning this game is to just not allow Patrick Mahomes to have the football, and. In the second half, that didn't play, and you know we see the result. And give the Chiefs a ton of credit; their offense continued to just roll and roll, and they were able to you know score. And Mahomes was just able to find guys and, and make plays. That play at the end of the first half was was one of the probably one of the best plays of this postseason so far. 
and you know they just keep on keep on rolling. And as you said, I I completely agree that this could be the start of something special here in in Kansas City. And you know you said last year with the offsides, and you know they're that close to playing in the Super Bowl against the Saints team. That's who they should have played. But that's another, good. That's another that's conversation another. for another day. The worms. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think that this is that you know we are going to see the Chiefs in a lot more AFC title games in the next few years, and also give a ton of credit to Andy Reid. Uh, this is a guy that finally he's a, a he's the fourth coach in NFL history to take a team in both conferences to the Super Bowl. Excuse me, of course, with the Eagles back way back when, and then and yeah, so you know, give him credit. You know, I feel like a lot of people are going to be rooting for him to finally, you know, f- finally get a ring, um, and kind of almost. I mean, I-, I would say right now you could you could put him in the Hall of Fame as a Hall of Fame coach, but I think this Super Bowl would just just kind of lock and just you know lock that in a hundred percent, no doubt. So, one of the questions that I was thinking about while I was watching that game and after the game was, if you're the Tennessee Titans. What's next? Because I, I think of this Titans team somewhat like the way I like how I view, and I'm going to bring in another sport here, but like I view the 2013 Red Sox. So like you know when when you think about that Red Sox team in 2013, that was a team you know they they had a, a rebuilding plan in place in 2013, and. You know, it, it was broken up into like three phases almost. They were gonna have you know three years of this, and then they were gonna shift to these guys, and then shift to these guys, and then all of a sudden they come down and they win the World Series in 2013, and it just accelerates that path that they were on. You have a Titans team that comes into this year not expecting to be to do what they did, and all of a sudden you know they they make the playoffs as the sixth seed. They go into New England and beat them. They go into Baltimore and beat them. And then, you know, they lose in the FC title game. So what is your next step as if you're the Tennessee Titans? So there's a couple decisions to make out in Tennessee. First off, you need to decide about your free agents. Uh, you've got Henry is a free agent. Derek Henry, obviously. I would say is a must-resign if you're looking to continue pushing more deep playoff runs or or a championship. Absolutely. Jack Conklin, the right tackle is a free agent this year. Mm -hmm. And Mariota versus Tannehill. I think they're both free agents too. Yeah. And and to kind of go off that, that was one of the, the, the biggest question that I had when, you know, when I was at, when I was asking myself, okay, what's the next step for them? Do like, you know, it, 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 excuse me. If you're in that Titans organization, are you ready to fully commit to Ryan Tannehill as your quarterback? No, I, I'm not. I think if you can resign him for a reasonable price, you're looking at him as a guy. You can build a team around him. Look at what the 49ers are doing with Jimmy G. Right. He's not an all, you know, world record type of guy, but 
you're not looking to give him the contract that the Niners gave Jimmy G because that's not a sustainable model. Like a repeatable model is probably a better term because the amount of draft talent they hit on on defense is insane. The odds, the 49ers basically dug themselves into a hole and then won the lottery with all the defensive guys they drafted who just ended up panning out like Eric Armstead, for example, he's on, he's a guy that they took in the first round, never showed him a ton. They picked up the fifth year option on him this year after debating whether or not they actually wanted to. And he came out and he was dominant. He had, against the Vikings, he was a game wrecker in that one game. This year, had 10 sacks, forced two fumbles. I mean, that's a great year out of a guy you have on a rookie contract. And maybe, you know, if they have too many of these guys they got to pay on defense, now you're looking at a bloated defense with guys who are getting older, getting paid a lot. Kind of like what happened to Seattle. And, and then they ended up getting Sherman out. Chancellor retired. They got rid of Earl Thomas. Guys like Brandon Browner and uh, like, you know, other depth kind of corners who were very good in those Seattle years just kind of went their own way. And the Seahawks were not contenders for a few years. Credit to Russell Wilson for picking up a lot of the slack in that organization. But if Russell Wilson continued to be more of a game manager like he was early in his career, you could, you could easily see how that could have gone poorly. And if the Titans play it wrong and Tannehill shows no improvement, they have him as a game manager, a lot of their talent on defense getting older, they're not hitting on some of their picks, it could be a mess in Tennessee after such a promising run. Yeah, um... Uh, completely agree with, with a lot of what you said. I think, I mean, obviously, I, I the 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 uh, the big money has to go to Derrick Henry because he is a guy you just can't afford to lose. Um, well, with Derrick Henry and Tannehill to to that extent, you've got to take care of your O line. Yes, Luan, left tackle is a is a nasty, nasty player. He's, I believe, already paid. So he's taken care of, but you got to decide if you're going to pay Jack Conklin the right tackle big money, who's again a free agent this year, or you're, are you going to the draft? There's this there's this one kid I've heard some buzz about recently, Mackay Becton out of Louisville. He's a tackle, 6'7", 370, absolute monster, but... He does move pretty well in space, I hear. I haven't watched any of them. But he's a mauler in run run blocking and surprisingly mobile in pass protection. So if you're looking for nasty run blocking and quick pass sets to get Tannehill rhythm throws, I'd, I'd look at this Mackay Becton kid to play right tackle across the lawn. You'd be looking at a great offensive line core for the next 10 years if you want to pound the ball and and let Tannehill kind of do his thing, manage the offense. Yeah, and to go off of, of that, 
Um, you know, you're you're 100 correct. I mean, solidifying the O line and and the trenches is really is obviously a a key issue. And I think, you know, to kind of go back to what you said about the Niners, and we'll get to them in a little bit, but one of, they've done a really really good job in terms of the trenches on both sides of the football. But anyway, um. Back to Tennessee, one of the things I – another thought I had was what if you were to use maybe the draft or use a trade or a free agent signing to get someone at wide receiver? Because now, you know, because it, because it, you know if you do that and you go out and get a wide out and you put him across from A.J. Brown, you give Tannehill another option, suddenly throwing the football doesn't seem as, as daunting – as it was for them this year, because I, you know, when you look at those skill positions, you know, they got AJ Brown, Adam Humphreys is, you know, is really a third and short guy. He's not what he was when he was in Tennessee. Um, Corey Davis is, you know, kind of, he's kind of meddled around. He really hasn't took off at any point. I definitely not what they expected him to be. Um, and then at tight end, Jonu Smith has, you know, he proved himself to be a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A very reliable tight end. So, you know, I, I I wouldn't say go there, but if you were able to get another guy you could put across from A.J. Brown, suddenly that passing attack bolsters a little bit and there's less pressure on Tannehill when he's throwing the football. I'm looking at A.J. Brown as even if they could get two guys who could play outside, A.J. Brown in the slot might be his best spot which is a weird fit with Humphreys already on the team. And I think AJ Brown can do a good job outside, but I'm not usually looking at AJ Brown as a huge threat deep. I'm not looking at him as a guy who's going to go up Moss people. He doesn't have like four, three kind of speed. So he's not Tyree kill either, uh, but he's quick. He's really quick, great route runner. And that those skills I feel like they could be optimized best in the slot. So I just think they have some weird fits even in their passing game right now with Humphreys and Brown and Corey Davis never really being the player we thought he would be coming out of uh, Central Michigan. Was it Central or Western? Central or Western. It was one of those. Yeah, I, I believe Central Michigan. But it's just, it's a, they've got a weird, I mean, I, did like Joni Smith. Joni Smith, I think, had a real breakout this the playoffs. Totally agree. The the catch against Baltimore, the left cheek. Right, of course. Yep, but, absolutely. That was it. Was a great catch, and it was he was consistent as you said all playoffs, and had a great run. So that's a guy I think you can really build around. He showed promise, and there's a deep wide receiver class this year. Deep, deep wide receiver class. There are guys, they're talking about six, seven guys with first-round grades at wide receiver. And I think it still depends a little bit who declares versus who actually goes back to college. But you're looking at a lot of talent that might be wide, like first-round wide receiver talent may be slipping to the second round. So if you want to go with this Beckton kid, if he slips far enough into the, I mean, they're going to have a bottom four pick. They're going to be twenty eighth at the end of this. 
I mean, usually the second offensive tackle doesn't really come off the board that late, you know? Yeah. But but if you're looking at, I mean, there's some more tackles, but Becton is the one who looks like a great fit for them. Yeah. Um, how the dominoes fall on the board and hoping some, I mean, if you want to get that playmaker right out the jump in the first round, I think that's dangerous, especially if they don't pay Conklin. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I don't know how much cash the Titans really have. And I don't have the information either. Yeah, versus what a top flight tackle contract, which is what Conklin's going to sign. Even though he might not be, he's above average in the league for sure, but he might not be one of those top five guys. But as we know in sports, he's going to get paid like it because he's just the last guy to sign. Right. And that's how free agency works. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I, you know, when when thinking about that game, it, it was it struck me as an interesting question, just kind of what the direction of this team is going to be, you know, that now that they've kind of, probably accelerated their path a little bit in, in making this run. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, when you look at that division, you know, the AFC South, you know, Houston's going to be around. The Jaguars, if you know, if, are, are going to be, you know, you, they're, they're always a question mark. And then, you know, the Colts, I, I'm not really sure where they're headed, you know, especially ever since, you know, uh, Andrew Luck retiring and, you know, you know, Jacoby Brissett did a good job, but, you know, are they ever really going to be contending? So, you know, the division is there for them to take every, you know, it, it you know, it, it, excuse me, it's going to be there for them to take every year. So it's, it's going to be interesting to, to kind of follow this team and, and, and the moves they make and who they bring in as the offseason begins for them. So moving on now to game number two, the NFC title, the 49ers were pretty much all over the, the Packers in this one, um, Green Bay kind of made it interesting a little bit towards the end, but I don't think there was ever really any doubt that this was the 49ers game. So, uh, Ethan, we'll start with you. Uh, your thoughts, comments on the NFC title? Well, San Francisco stuck to the run game, and I know I sound like a broken record about the run game, but it's goddamn important. Uh, they had... I'm counting right now 20, 30, 32 carries to Green Bay's 16. You know, they doubled the amount of rushing attempts, controlled the game early, right from the jump. Garoppolo threw eight passes the entire game. Completed and they, they, yeah, completed six of them. So, you know, good <laughs> the performance. There. Yeah, the consistency is there, but as we know, a lot of the times when the volume goes up, the efficiency goes down, a la James Harden. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Which, you know, some of his some of his games, is, you know, is he, he's shooting one of 16 or whatever. But Bill Simmons <laughs> made a good point, I believe, yesterday. He was talking a little bit about Garoppolo, and he's like, a lot of the times I'm looking at the box score and his passer rating is higher than actual yards. <laughs> like, what, what are you, 
what are you judging a quarterback's performance based off of if you're like if you're typing up his passer rating, his QBR, you know, what a great job he did when he really didn't do that much. I mean, 77 yards. One of you know one of his pass attempts was an eight-yard sack, which he only took one of. And Aaron Rodgers took three because he had nearly 40 passing attempts. It just, you know, it, my questions are: Are we going to see a renaissance once again in the NFL back to a ground and pound style? after the league's gotten kind of smaller, more mobile, and what kind of credit are we giving quarterbacks like Jimmy Garoppolo or Ryan Tannehill had he made the Super Bowl? You know, what, what is that, where does that put them kind of in history? You know, Jimmy, Jimmy's, if he wins the Super Bowl, he has three rings. Yeah, that's... He has, he has three rings. He had two on the Pats, and possibly getting another one in two weeks so what does that mean for garoppolo as a quarterback who was a backup for many many years of his career and passed for 77 yards in an nfc championship game without a touchdown carried (laughs) carried by his backfield and his defense and ends up you know, I don't know what, what his performance in the Super Bowl obviously was going to look like yet, but I'm guessing he's not going for four hundo and six touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, and, definitely. And but I also do, I I can virtually guarantee that it's not going to be another six for eight for seventy seven yard performance because you know this is a Chiefs team that they're playing, and we're and we're going to get into this. Later on, as we get close to the Super Bowl, we're going to give you – we'll have a whole Super Bowl preview. But um, he's he, he's now about to play a, a Chiefs team that is really going to test him because, you know, you, because you know that that defense is – as good as that Niners defense is, the Chiefs offense is going to be able to put up points. So, yes, I, I de- definitely – I definitely think you're going to see – I mean, you're, you're, you're definitely going to see Jimmy G – have to throw the ball a little more, and probably have to throw it in some high-pressure situations. But anyway, I cut you off there. Go ahead. Yeah, she's often going to put up points at anyone. I was just agreeing with your point. Yeah. And this 49ers team does remind me a lot of that Titans team. I was comparing them a little bit earlier, but right now— You're absolutely right. We have a lot of talent on the 49ers. You might not have the— the Derrick Henry, who's who's feared throughout the league, you know, everyone else doesn't want to get run over. But you've got Raheem Mostert, it's fast. You've got Tevin Coleman, Brita, who both have their own, you know, Coleman's good receiving out of the backfield, more dynamic. Brita is also kind of Mostert-esque. He's a little bigger, mm-hmm. not quite as fast, but... You have these three guys who are very consistent. An O line is willing to run block, as we've seen with the 30, 40 pat, you know, rushing attempts they've had throughout the playoffs every game. And they're kind of not viewed the same way as the Titans because they have a better record, but they're just, you know, Kyle Shanahan is a genius, great offensive coach. He's definitely going to see. That Titans game realized these teams are kind of similar and 
see that the Titans went and abandoned the run game, which is what really made them tick. And the Niners and, didn't. And the Niners didn't against the Packers. And it's a different situation because the tight the, the Niners were up by 27 going right. into the second so, half. And the, the Titans were only down by four, though. That's not... It's not a two-score game where you're yeah. saying to throw caution to the wind. You can still start controlling the clock, keep Mahomes off the field, and try to limit him. You know, they just kind of abandoned it. And I think that the 49ers don't have that kind of waiver in them where they're down by four points or a touchdown and they just abandon it all and have Jimmy G throw caution to the winds and get picked. Yeah. Um, and I, and you're definitely right. Uh, you know, the, the Niners and the Titans are very, very similar in their, their game plan on offense. But I do think that one spot that the Niners um, have over the Titans is in their skill positions. Um, you know, as, as, as little as they throw the ball, the Niners still have Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, who is emerging or has emerged as one of the best young wide receivers in the game. And at tight end, you have George Kittle, who behind Travis Kelsey, a lot of people, I think, would argue that is he is the best tight end in football. I would have to say so. I think he's the best tight end in football. And the the great thing about the Niners having a great tight end like that is it really lends itself to the play-action game. Absolutely. You establish that run. You pop out and you you fake the handoff. The linebackers come up and you pop a little seam right out up the middle. Nice little touch pass. You know, Jimmy right. Cheese make that one. But and there's some opportunity there for sure. And it also gives – it shows you a lot about George Kittle, you know, because he, you know, as we said, he's so good in the passing game and, you know, catching the football. But he's also so willing to run block – and, you know, not necessarily have a big game, you know, it, it shows a lot about him and his character. And, you know, how, how I think a lot of these guys, even, you know, you know, a lot of the offensive guys are just bought into this philosophy because, you know, when you look at the, when you look at the Titans, you're, you go, okay, you know, they're not going to throw the football, but they also don't have a lot of guys to throw it to, you know, they're, they're kind of weak at, at the skill positions. You look at the Niners and you go, well, this I, for me, I go, this team can still throw the football pretty effectively because they have a lot of weapons. But I think it shows a lot about their team and their mindset that they're willing to kind of, you know, take a step back. And it's also it also just shows how effective they are and that they can just run the ball so effectively that they don't even use those guys barely at all. So it, 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 this is a very interesting 49ers team. Um, but it's a very talented one. And another note, kind of not football related, uh, State Farm is very bummed that the Packers lost because they would have wanted nothing more than a Mahomes versus Rodgers Super Bowl. Um, yeah, yeah, Farm went out for State Farm. Yeah, I was... Condolences, sincerely. I was, I was thinking about that in the fourth quarter. I was like, wow, those guys at State Farm are bummed. But I'm happy because I could not take a week... A week of those commercials. Um, anyway, so kind of shifting over to the Packers, um, I think really what it came down to was this is a team this year that 
kind of skated by on the talent of Aaron Rodgers and his ability to make magic behind under center. And they just, you know, they 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 just ran into a team that was better than them. And they were better than them and they were at their home stadium and they just got they just got smacked. I really think that's kind of all there is to it. Um an interesting uh, I'm I'm sure you saw this Ethan if you didn't I'm, I'm going to tell you about it. Um I think it was yesterday. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was giving an interview or something like that, and he said that his basically what he said was his window to win a Super Bowl is still open. Do you agree with him when he says that? It's, I think, tough to say it's closed. I mean, a guy like Rodgers has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league for a decade plus just saying like, yeah, no, he has no chance anymore. I think that's a bit of a rushed hot take, but now that we've got Mahomes completely anchored in the league, you're looking at a tougher path, at least in the last game. Cause you're looking at Mahomes in the Super Bowl or some, some team who beat Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Right. So what kind of monster are you looking for, you know, out of the AFC? In the NFC, it's a little bit it that that conference might be getting a little bit. You know, the Saint I I don't know where the Saints are right now. It's gonna depend a lot on Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. What he's gonna do, what he, they're gonna have in him. If he comes back, it's going to come from teams like the Falcons or the Panthers. We never know what we're going to get out of them. Yeah. They both have a fantastic season each. What are the Cowboys going to look like? Who are they going to retain? Amari Cooper's a free agent right now. I believe so is Byron Jones. That is correct. They're going to have the cap room to get all of them back. Who are they going to get back? What are they going to look like? Right. You know, um, teams like. Eagles, with all their injuries this year, they were considered a contender. Yep. Uh, like, the Vikings. Minnesota, yep, I was going to say them. I mean, you... Cousin, still on this kind of ascension. Right. And, are, you know, how much longer does a guy like Harrison Smith have? Are they going to re-sign Anthony Harris on the back end? It's, it's all just up in the air with the NFC. And I think we saw a stretch where the NFC for a while was pretty dominant. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I think when you when you ask that question, I, I think it doesn't. It, it, it's not a question of whether or not is Rogers done. It's more of a question of you know, it, it's more of a question of who of or not a question. It's just more of a case of these all these other contenders from the NFC emerging around Green Bay, you know, like the Niners like the Vikings in their division, if the Bears could ever figure it out, you know, the, you know, they'd be up there. The Saints are going to hang around. The Seahawks are always going to be pesky. The Rams, you know, had a very down year, but they're still going to be loaded. You know, you got the Cowboys, like you said, the Eagles, even the Giants in a few years. You know, you never know. So yeah, I, th- I think it's less of a question of, you know, is Rodgers, like, finally starting to go downhill? It, it's more of a just, you know, who is he going to have to go through and like all this young emerging talent in the NFL? But if I'm Green Bay, you know, 
Ten, you know, this this by no means was was the best Green Bay team ever. Um, you know, besides Devontae Adams, you know, they're a little weak at wide receiver. Um, you know, defenses. I think there isn't a defense that could be improved across the league. Um, but to see Aaron Jones emerge as kind of a top tier running back was a positive, and for a first year coach in Matt Lafleur to go all the way to the NFC title game, you know, that's obviously a step. You know, a, a good sign. So I, you know, as as long as long as I always say it, I say it about him and I say it about Russell Wilson. You know, I can never bet against Aaron Rodgers. So you know, as long as he's wearing a Packer uniform, the Packers are going to be relevant in some way. So you know, no need to panic or do something brash here if you're in that Green Bay front office. Um, so before we move on, any any last NFC NFL uh, championship weekend thoughts? Shout out to Aaron Jones uh, in, in the losing effort. 12 carries for 56, uh, 4.7 yards a carry and a touch. It's a great effort despite losing. Aaron Rodgers also, again, to your point, had the 20 points all in the second half. Yep. Only completions. Unfortunately, two of them were interceptions. Uh, they were both kind of desperation throws, though. You know, down big. Right. I, I wouldn't know that I'd, I don't know that I'd necessarily fault him, especially with the second one to Sherman. I mean, he was just trying to go deep and make something happen. So you see the two touchdowns, two interceptions. You're like, well, maybe he you know, kind of choked. But I, I don't think that this Aaron Rodgers performance was as bad as people are making it out to be. I agree. You know, at the end of the day, the defense did give up 37. Uh, you know, that's a lot to come back. 27 of those in the first half, that's a lot to try to dig yourself out of. And maybe he wasn't scoring at such a high rate early in the game, but I, I do think that there's a better Aaron Rodgers performance than people are giving him credit for. So that's my bit on that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, next guy, that'll kind of, that wraps up, you know, a championship weekend next week. Uh, next sometime, we'll have a full Super Bowl preview. Um, we'll get you stats, predictions, anything else. I can't wait for them to release the. Uh, I'm sure you know about this. The um, it's it, it's almost like a thirty page list of prop bets that you yep. can make. So we'll 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 definitely have a look at that and take a look at some of the wacky uh, wagers you can put down on the big game. So actually. This is this doesn't pertain to the game, but it, it merges a bit of a news story afterwards. Um, Darrell Revis, uh, former of course stud cornerback in the NFL, sent a tweet, and he didn't he didn't at Richard Sherman, but he was talking about Richard Sherman, basically saying that he was soft, for lack of a better term, and you know not you know he said step up, be a man, and shut down Adams and and play man coverage, stop hiding in a cover three zone. And Sherman kind of came back and basically said, you know, you're watching from your couch and I'm going to play in a Super Bowl, so don't don't run your mouth. Uh, real quick, your your thoughts on that? Because it, you know, it was just kind of an interesting little tidbit that kind of emerged after that game. It was just a shame to see it go down. Honestly, I mean, these, are, these are honestly two of my favorite players that I've watched. When I was a kid, the Jet—I'm a Giants fan—but with the Jets, you 
know, you still watch a lot of the games. Right. And being the, the prime days of Rebus Island, the multiple AFC title games, I mean, that was fun to watch. Rebus was raw as hell. And I think people don't think about him in the way they should these days. I mean, the Jets, for anyone who doesn't remember, what they would do is if there was a receiver on one side of the formation, one single receiver, they would put Revis on that guy. And then literally, almost literally the entire rest of the defense would go on the other side of the formation. They were like, we dare you to throw at Revis and see what happens. Or you're throwing into seven guys on the other side of the hash. Yeah, exactly. It was like, like no wonder they made those, you know, big playoff runs. He was just that good to anchor an entire defense. Now I don't know that Richard Sherman in his prime. I know for a fact in Richard Sherman's prime he wasn't that good, but he's been good for longer. I would say than more consistent than Revis was, in, especially in the late part of his career, through injuries and through aging. You know, that cover three zone, while he might not be traveling, might not be playing man, and people take that as a negative thing, it takes a lot more mental processing. Uh, one way a lot of people might put zone coverage is it's like delayed man. So you're settling into your zones, and then kind of whoever comes in your area, pick them up and start covering. It's not sitting in a bubble and waiting for the quarterback to throw at you and just picking it off which people make it out to be because they play too much Madden. <laughs> like, right. Um, so th- that's just my two cents on the issue. Uh, Richard Sherman, from watching him in the early days and starting in like 2011, I believe he came in the league. The, most, the first time most of the people saw him was when he tipped the ball against the Niners. Of all teams, right? Exactly. <laughs> In the playoffs, you know, I, I joke that it's the throw that ended Kaepernick's career. It was the the one where Sherman was ranting in the interview afterwards about a sorry-ass receiver like Crabtree. You know, solidifying Crabtree as the all-time leader in cornerback beef. <laughs> history. Yep. That was, that was, <laughs> that was more significant play as far as the butterfly effect. Than maybe anything else um, in the NFL in the past decade, uh, with with Sherman being kind of getting that label as like a conceited, not kind of me first guy. You know, people maybe not look at him as an intelligent guy, even though he's you know Stanford graduate. I believe had a four zero in school. Yep. yep. Just well spoken, Richard Sherman. Is, is that kind of guy. He's, he's great. You know, I don't know how people don't like him, but people seem to have a grudge against Richard Sherman. Yeah, I, I just thought it was kind of, just kind of not necessary on Revis's part. You know, it's almost like, you know, you know, Revis was good. Sherman's good. Let's just, you know, just, you know, just let the whole thing be. Don't even worry about it. Um, but I found it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. It was. I mean, for us, it was amusing, but it would have been. You know, you could have just let it go. But anyway, so that'll wrap up our our, our football discussion for today. So we're gonna move on now to the NBA, and you know, there hasn't been. First, actually, 
I will start with this. There was a uh, a triple header yesterday um, on TNT for Martin Luther King Day. Game number two featured the Celtics and the Lakers um, from Boston, and the Celtics absolutely dismantled the Lakers. Um, T- Jason Tatum at 27, Ennis Cantor had 18 points off the bench. Uh, I think actually had he had 20 points. He had 18 in the first half. He almost had a double double in the first half. Um, it was a really, really impressive performance by the Celtics, um, especially because they were coming off of a four-game losing streak. So a really good win, uh, hopefully pick up some momentum going forward. So I'll, I'll lead with that. But, right, you know, we got the NBA trade deadline right around the corner. Uh, February 6th is the date on that. And there's been rumors, you know, flying around recently about certain guys on the block and whatnot. So I we thought it'd be a, a good idea to maybe just kind of – Come up with some some theoretical trades, um, you know. So we each have a couple. I have three, or actually, I have two. Actually, no, I have three, and then I just kind of have some other rumors. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how many you came up with, but we're just kind of kind of go through these and kind of use this as a as a starting point for um, just for our just kind of a broad NBA rumor discussion. So. I'll go first here. Um, I'll start my first trade that I came up with. So a lot of people, when you look at the Boston Celtics, uh, one of their glaring needs that people point out is their need for a big. And one of the names that has been linked is Andre Drummond of the Pistons. As the Pistons are, you know, bottom feeders, look to kind of looking to move on from the Drummond-Griffin uh, tandem. So there's been some rumors that Drummond's going to be on the block. So I came up with this pick, this this trade for the Celtics. Um, I, I feel like getting Drummond, and I said this way, I think I said this way back on the first pod when I was talking about this. Um, I feel like the haul would be, the haul for that the Celtics would have to give up would be maybe a little too much. But th- this would be a deal that I would maybe feel okay about doing. So the deal is the Celtics or the Pistons would trade Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, who has an expiring contract, and a 2021 second-round pick to the Celtics. And the Celtics would give up their 2021st that belongs to the Grizzlies. It's top six protected. And then, so yeah, it's top six protected by Memphis. And if not, the Celtics get it. A a 2022-first. And then Marcus Smart and Ennis Cantor. So, Cantor, Smart, and two first-rounders for Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, and a 2021 second. E, your, a, a, your thoughts on that, that deal, and your thoughts on the whole, on basically the whole Drummond situation. I don't know if that would be in the Boston Celtics' best interests. Because what are you getting in Andre Drummond over Ennis Cantor? That, like, the marginal upgrade that would be versus your cap situation over the long term, over you might have concerns about Drummond's durability, he's been hurt. And then giving up Marcus Smart and a first for Reggie Jackson and a second is, is the other pieces of that. Like, like if I'm the Celtics right now, and you're you're considering 
would I even want Drummond over a Cantor when you consider the durability cap situations? I, I don't even know if that if I would do that. And then forget the other parts with the with the rest of it. He's got he's on the books for this season and next he would be twenty nine million dollars almost next year. He's only twenty six, so there is that. But I, I just I'm not sure if that would be my pick for the Celtics. I feel like with a lot of these contenders who are high in the standings, oftentimes small moves are the best. Yep. So you want if I'm looking for a big I'm, if I'm the Celtics, I'm looking for a guy ironically they lost in Aaron Baines. Uh, I think they should have kept Baines. Paid for him. He's he got he's got a three point stroke this year. He's locking up on defense, playing. You know he's just playing well. He's rebounding, and I'm looking for a guy like that who I can put in for my 20 minutes. He, you know, you're going to get high effort, good rebounding out of him, and and call it a day. I, I don't know if I'm looking for a Drummond. Yeah, um, I, I I do agree with um, with with a lot of what you said because I mean you're right, and especially coming off of last night, you know, it 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 raise, you know it raises the question, you know, or not even a question, but it just kind of makes you think, you know, do they even need to get anybody? But I, I just think going down the road, you know, and you're gonna have to go through a Milwaukee or you know even 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 a Lakers team. I, I mean I I mean I know they beat them last night. But if you ever were to, you know, make a run, you know, you, you know, you'd have to deal with Anthony Davis for X amount of games, or, you know, you'd have to deal with Philadelphia with Horford and Embiid, and, you know, Daniel Tice and Ennis Cantor have done a great job. You know, Daniel Tice has proven himself to be a, a reliable defender, um, who can shoot the three as well. And I, I, I agree totally with what you said. I think the Baines move for the Celtics was a bad, bad move. Um, I think they should have held on to him. Um, but I, I just think, and I think a lot of people would say that you know a guy like Drummond might just solidify your defense a little bit more in terms of playing guys like Embiid or even Giannis, because as good as Ennis Cantor is on offense, and as much as he'll hit the boards, his defensive ability is a little lackluster. That's always been the knack on him. So that so that's what made me think of this move. There's other guys the Celtics the, that have that they've been tied to. Um, another guy that's been rumored to be on the block is Miles Turner, the big man from Indiana. Um, that would be another guy maybe they could look at. But I, I also agree with what you said. You know, I think the Hall, especially for a Drummond and possibly even for a Turner, would probably be a little too big. And I think eventually a no move would end up being more be, being a better idea than, than to make a move. But that was just a theoretical kind of scenario I came up with. Um, if, you're the, if you're the Celtics, if I could just yeah, add. Go ahead. You kind of have a wide open window. There's nothing, there's no reason for the Celtics to really rush it. You have, I think, I think between this season and the beginning of next season, we need to see some sort of move. But I absolutely like, agree with that. It needs to happen at this deadline. Like you could hold on to the pick See what you get in the lottery. See see if you get an impact guy, which I'm not hearing this draft class is going to be the best. But if yep. you can get a guy 
like you think fits in well, that's great. If you get a big free agent signing, which I don't know where they would have cap room to do that with your guys like you know, Jalen Brown and Tatum ready to sign again soon. But if you could get something like, a, I mean, I know he already signed last year, but Julius Randle kind of player who's a borderline star, you might be able to get him signed for cheaper because the Celtics are a contender. I mean, the Warriors, they built their, their dynasty through KD, Steph Curry, and a, a player we like to call uh, mid-level exception. The, the exception where you can pay a veteran player uh, less than you know a certain amount, go over the cap. That was that was key. That's how they retained Iguodala so long, right. and he proved to be you know he's a Finals MVP for them. You know, he's just a key player who can really contribute, and that that's what the Ro- the Celtics need to start looking at for the roster now. I mean, they're at that level of, of contender where their fans are like, okay, like let's go get a chip. Yep. So need to be looking at trying to get like proven veteran contributors for a discount. You don't want. I feel like you don't want more youth coming in. You want you want veterans. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think if they were to go get a Drummond or if they were to go to get a Turner. You know that would be the Celtics signaling to the league that all right, we are like we're all in right now. Like, we want to win this year if we can. But you're exactly right, and you know with Tatum emerging to be a stud, Jalen Brown being there, Smart and Kemba, you know the window's still there. So, you know as a fan, I am okay with either direction. I you know I I would be okay with him making trying to make a big splash at the deadline and maybe going all in on this year, but I would be okay with them, you know, saying, all right, you know, we're going to try and and see what we can do with this team. And I still think they can do great things with this team, but then, but, but we're going to wait for this off season to really try and build that championship roster. I'd be okay with both. So I'll turn it back over to you. Did, do you have any, uh, excuse me, were you able to come up with any, any trades that you maybe thought were, were interesting? Well, we were looking last week at the possibility of D'Angelo Russell to the Timberwolves. Yes, and I think makes sense on a lot of levels. So I was I'm looking right now at some of the pieces you might be able to get back for, you know, give the give the Warriors for D'Angelo Russell. And mm-hmm. I think Nas Reed is a nice young piece. The center, out out of LSU. Uh, but he's he's twenty years old, six nine, two sixty-four. Yep. Obviously a rookie on his rookie deal, making under a million, very cap friendly for the Warriors, who I'm guessing are going to want to clear some cap room and soon you, you might be able to sell him back Jordan Bell. Mm-hmm. I, I believe he has an expiring contract after this year. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So it, it's where the Warriors want to go with this. I mean, if you want a, a Wiggins or a Towns, like, there's no way they're touching Towns, but no. Wiggins is a maybe, I'd say, or Culver. I mean, if they if they want, if that's the route they're going, 
but they could also definitely ask for Hicks and and some of those young guys who you know you toss the dart at the wall, see if you run into something like a Nas. Yeah. Joshua. Yeah, I, I definitely think if that deal is to happen, the Warriors are going to want a hefty amount of picks, um, just because of their direct, you know, the direction that team is going in. You know, if you're able to get one or two first rounders, and you, you know, you know, if it, excuse me, if if you're able to get one or two first rounders, and you're able to hit on those picks in the draft, and then you got Stephen Clay coming back, and then you got Draymond, you know, you might have something. Yeah, so I, I definitely uh, – that's interesting. And you mentioned Andrew Wiggins. I actually had them getting Wiggins in a deal here. But now the more I think about it, you know, D'Angelo Russell has a huge contract that's on their books right now. And Wiggins, his contract is also massive. So I, I'm starting to think that maybe they wouldn't want to take on, you know, essentially trade one huge contract for another. And by the way, that Wiggins deal is not a very good deal on the Timberwolves' part. Um Looking no. back, I, Look. with Wiggins, I feel like there's always that hope that people have that he's going to turn into what we thought he'd be. And I mean, he never and does. He never, never does. That Maple Jordan nickname. They thought he was going to be like the next, you know, Messiah in yeah. basketball. No, absolutely. Yeah. the 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 hype around him was 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 intense. And he really, you know, and 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 that's not to say that he has that he's been a a terrible player. You know, he's you know he's he's shown signs, and he's been a consistent player, but he's never just reached that level of stardom that most people expected. Like you you look at his numbers, and you're like, okay, that I would I would expect that to be great numbers out of like Lou Williams, right? Not not a lot of defense, but. Scoring 22, 25 a game on like, like okay to bad efficiency. Right. But just having that scoring punch, you know, the guy you know can put it in the bucket. That's not what you're drafting a player, you know, giving up Kevin Love and then holding up this guy is like the answer to your franchise. You, you don't think yeah. that's what it's like. Exactly. Um, so I have a, I got another one here and this actually, I, this actually isn't my, I didn't come up with this myself. I actually saw this one on Twitter floating around. It was actually, you mentioned Bill Simmons earlier. Uh, it was actually his, his dad who kind of proposed this deal. I don't know, maybe you even, you might've even seen it because I'm pretty sure Simmons tweeted about it, but it, it involves the Celtics again. And, and the deal is Gordon Hayward and the Bucks' first-round pick that the Celtics have for Kevin Love. I think that would be a much more palatable kind of deal. Um, what we're going to get in rim protection out of Kevin Love, I don't know what that was. What that would be. He was very good rim defender early in his career for the Timberwolves. That was also a much younger Kevin Love. Yeah. But we also haven't seen him, I don't think, try on defense in a long time either. That's a very good point as well. But that might also be good for the Celtics because right now you kind of have Jalen at the two. You have Hayward at the three and Tatum is at the four a lot. And his more natural position might be the three. Yep. And then you 
Kevin Love at the four for spacing and rim protection. And you've got your five still, you know, intact. And I think that might, that's the kind of move that might be beneficial. You're bringing in a veteran, one who knows how to win, has a, has a ring, appreciates that environment, as opposed to a younger guy that you're looking at and you how he's going to fit into the locker room. Yeah. Um, I, I, this, I, I think this also would be a deal for the Celtics that would kind of signal that they would, that they're going all in on this season. Um, my only concern with it is, I mean, a, you know, a first round pick for Kevin Love. Ah, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Just considering, you know, his age and he's, you know, he doesn't, he's kind of almost past his prime. Um, but then, you know, when you look at Love and Gordon Hayward, I really, you know, with Love, you know, you gain a little bit more size and a little more rebounding ability and maybe a tad more defensive ability. But from a scoring standpoint, I really don't see too much of an upgrade. I mean, they both can shoot the three. They got good mid-range games. Love, you know, on, on the inside probably has a little more prowess just because he's bigger. But, you know, I, I don't see necessarily too much of an upgrade there. So that's why I'd be a little skeptical about this deal. But if they I would, if they will, yeah, keep. Okay, so that's a good point. But what I think, like, if you're in a big situation, if you're Celtics and you need a guy to ISO and get a bucket, you're looking at Hamba, you're looking at Tatum, and you're looking at Jalen Brown. My all before you want Hayward with right. the ball in it that situation so at that point isn't hayward kind of a redundancy like yes that, that, that's a good that's a, that's a fair point as well it's it it, it it it's a very interesting comparison with those with with love and hayward because you know their games when you really think about it are very similar and you don't really think about it too much because you know hayward is more of a, a more of a guard forward type and love has always been a, a forward even a center at some points. So, you know, it's it, it's an interesting comparison. And once again, I, I think if the Celtics are legit and are serious about moving or, you know, trying to go for a title this season, that's the kind of deal you make. But, you know, sometimes, like we said, better to hold off on those. So one more that I had here, and this actually isn't even a deal. It's more of a – just kind of a rumor – an idea here to kind of discuss. I'm looking at the LA Clippers, and I love the LA Clippers, but we've, you know, they've been a little inconsistent. You know, they haven't really been able to keep Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the floor at all times during the season. So, the one place that, that a lot of people are saying they need help, and I would agree with that, is down low. Like, I like with the Celtics. You know, they have Montrezl Harrell, but Montrezl Harrell is a little undersized height wise. You know, they have a Zubats, but, you know, kind of the same thing with him. So can you see the Clippers maybe making a move for a guy like maybe a Drummond, maybe a Miles Turner, maybe an Aaron Baines, maybe even a – I mean, and, and, and this fourth guy here wouldn't necessarily help their height issues, but maybe even a Marcus Morris, another guy to maybe spread the floor a little, you know, get, you know he you know, he's a, he's a three-level scorer, you know, he'll put the ball in the hoop and kind of spread things out a little more. For the Clippers' office, do you see 
them making a move in that direction? I think at the very least, if you do make that move, if you're the Clippers, you have to be really careful about what you're returning in a deal like that. Because you can't afford to mess up that bench. If that bench gets out of whack, your whole thing with the being able to do load management and spell Kawhi and Paul George at certain points in games when they're sore or tired, like having guys on the roster like Lou Will or like Pat Bev, those are guys that are hard to expend. It's very important, you know, if they have to take on a starting role at certain points or if they have to kind of come in and take over, those are valuable pieces. So having Harold and and uh, Zubats might just have to be good enough for the Clippers. Uh, that's that's a move I'm even more reluctant to make the Celtic move if I'm the Clippers, just because I think we've all kind of had the idea with the Clippers that it didn't really matter as long as they got like a playoff seat in the top half of the conference. Like I'm comfortable with seeing a Clippers team going in as the fourth seed and taking it to everyone. You know, the Lakers, you know, it, it seems like an inevitability at this point that they play the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, and they know that no matter, no matter who technically has home court, that's a Lakers home game. Right. Seven times in a row. <laughs> so, um, you, you see that, and the Lakers are going all out. LeBron's, you know, looks like Superman again in his age. What is he, 35? Yeah, something. It's, is he tired come playoffs? Can, can he come overcome, with the help of Anthony Davis, but can both of them overcome a Kawhi-PG duo who's rested up? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, um, like you said, um, it's you know what they have right now is obviously very solid, and you wouldn't want to mess it up. And the other thing to keep in mind when you think of the Clippers is, you know, how much what assets do you have to trade? Because half of your assets right now are sitting in Oklahoma City's piggy bank because of the Paul George deal. You know, you gave them four of your first round picks, so you know what do you have to offer to a team? Um, you know, for because you know you have to figure for a Drummond, you know that's going to take a lot. For a Turner, that's going to take a lot. Aaron Baines even might take you know a, 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 an an extra piece or two. Marcus Morris maybe not, but you know th- this is a team that with that George deal, as as much as as much as it made them that much better, it really handcuffed them in the future. And at a, at a junction like this, when they maybe are considering making a trade. Yeah, uh, that and that's kind of the point I was I was getting at earlier. Their bench has been playing at such a high level, considering the time that PG and Kawhi have missed, that you don't have those picks. So at that point, you need to trade a player on your bench, and so you're not going to trade. Who are you going to trade? Like like Zubats, Lou Will. Like like Landry Landry Kamet like, right. like 
guys are either integral to the team or don't have a lot of value or like valuable to you, the Clippers, then they would be like the, the pieces they would actually return in a trade. Right. So just another another rumor there to kind of keep your eyes on, see maybe if the Clippers decide to make a move or not. Um, that is pretty much wrapping up all that we had here, all that we had planned. Real quick, though, not too much discussion going into this one, but E, uh, we're going to find out very shortly, probably right after we post this, um, the MLB Hall of Fame class. Real quick, who are your predictions? Who's getting in? I haven't been following this a lot. Uh, it, it's the Hall of Fame has gotten ridiculous to me. Between not letting Pete Rose in and all the, the things that have been going on, right? Um, and obviously, if Peter isn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, um, I, I have nothing, nothing to say to that. He should absolutely be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, Mariano Rivera was unanimous. I don't see any reason that Jeter shouldn't be unanimous too. Yep, I definitely think you're going to see Jeter be pro- most likely be unanimous. If not, he's going to get 98, 99 percent. So I think you'll see him get in. Um, I think Larry Walker's going to get in. I think you'll see Kurt Schilling get in there. Um, and I think this might be the year that Barry Bonds. Um, finally gets his name into the hall. Um, and then the other two guys that I had written down, you might see Scott Rowland. Um, if he doesn't get in, I think he's going to get a good share of votes. And then the guy that I think should be in is Todd Helton. Um, we can have this conversation on, on, on the next pod, but I, Todd Helton had the greatest statistical season in MLB history in 2000. And in addition to that, you know, he's a 316 lifetime hitter. He's got a war over 70. Um, I think he definitely deserves to be in. So just real quick, we can get way more into that uh, next week. Um, that's going to wrap up – or not – excuse me, not next week, later this week. Um, that will wrap up episode four. Uh, once again, hope you enjoyed and look look out for episode five coming later this week. So on behalf of my co-host Ethan Looper, my name is Mike Murray, and this has been the Sports Forum. <laughs>